0: Amen. You may be seated. Please open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8. And I'm going to read and preach verses 12 and 13 this morning. Verses 12 and 13. In the previous verses, Paul talked about how as believers we are no longer in the flesh, but are now in the spirit. We are indwelt by the Spirit. Yes, we have indwelling sin, but we also have the indwelling Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in our hearts. And what Paul does now is he draws a conclusion from all that. He says that in light of all that, we are not debtors to the flesh. He says that we must put to death the deeds of the flesh. We must kill our sin by the power of the Spirit. That's what we're called to do every day as believers. We're called to kill the sin that dwells within us by the power of the Spirit who dwells within us. That's what we're going to consider together from these two verses. But first, let's pray again, and then we'll begin. Let's pray. God, we thank you that by your grace alone, we are no longer in the flesh, but are now in the Spirit as believers. The Spirit of God dwells in our hearts even now, but we also know that sin still dwells in our hearts, and we need to put it to death every day by the power of your Spirit. So please teach us more of what that means and how to do it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 8, reading verses 12 and 13. This is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. As you can see in your sermon notes, we're going to look first at what Paul says in verse 12 about how we are not debtors to the flesh, and then at what he says in verse 13 about how we must put to death the deeds of the flesh. He begins verse 12 with the words, So then, which point us back to what he's just been saying. He's drawing a conclusion again from what he's just been saying. So then, in light of what I've already said, in light of the fact that you are not in the flesh but in the spirit, in light of the fact that the spirit of God dwells in you, in light of the fact that he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you, in light of all those things, those truths, so then, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh." He's telling us what's true about us as believers in Jesus Christ. Because we are not in the flesh, we are not debtors to the flesh. We'll talk about what that means in a minute, but as an aside here for just a few moments, let's not overlook what he calls them there at the beginning of verse 12. He calls them brothers. So then, brothers. That is, siblings. Siblings. Brothers and sisters in the family of God. let's just think about that for a minute. As Christians, we are siblings in the family of God. Christ is our elder brother, and God is our heavenly father. And we have been adopted into God's family. Paul's going to talk about adoption in a few verses. Kids, some of you have learned recently in the kids' catechism classes the definition of adoption in the shorter catechism that we said together earlier in the service. Adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. It's an act of God's free grace, meaning it's not a process, it's a one time thing, and we don't earn it. And we are received into the number of the sons of God and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. By nature, we are children of wrath. By grace, we become children of God. The king has taken us who were his enemies and has made us his very own sons and daughters. And that makes us brothers. That makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. And the reason why I pause on this is just to point out that if we are brothers and sisters in Christ, if we are family, one thing that means is that we should treat each other like family especially since we are fellow members of the same local church here at CRPC. We should treat each other like family because we are family. We should love one another earnestly from a pure heart, 1 Peter one twenty two says. We should love one another with brotherly affection, Romans 12.10. We should love one another as Christ has loved us, John 13.34. Sometimes it's hard to love each other for various reasons, but if there's a brother or a sister in this church, a fellow church member, who's hard for you to love, think the Father loves them, and the Father loves me, therefore I can love them. We are able to love Him because He first loved us. And we are able to love them because he first loved them and us. We are brothers. We are siblings in the family of God. Therefore, let us love one another as Christ has loved us. So then, brothers, Paul writes, we are debtors... Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We are not debtors to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, he says. We are not in the flesh, so we are not debtors to the flesh. Rather, we are in the spirit, so we are debtors to the spirit, if we could put it that way. Of course, the Christian life is not about repaying a debt. We owe God big time, and so we spend our whole lives trying to pay him back. No, we're not We're not like someone who's buried in financial debt and under the burden of financial debt and God is our creditor and we owe him and we're never really going to be able to pay him back but we try our best to keep current on our regular payments of obedience. No, it's not like that. We do owe everything to God and so we are debtors to God in that sense but we're not repaying him. We're responding to him. To his purchase of us to be his own. Jesus paid it all, we sing. Therefore, all to him we owe, but not as a repayment, rather as a response of love and obedience from a heart that's been changed by the gospel. We are debtors to mercy alone, as the Augustus Top Lady hymn has it. A debtor to mercy alone of covenant mercy I sing, nor fear. With thy righteousness on, my person and offering to bring. The terrors of law and of God with me can have nothing to do. My Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. We are debtors, but not to the flesh. We are debtors to the Spirit, rightly understood. We are not debtors to the flesh. We are not in debt. The flesh. We do not owe the flesh anything. We do not serve the flesh as a slave to the flesh. So when you're tempted by the flesh, remember you don't owe it anything. You're not obligated to obey it. You're debt free when it comes to the flesh. You're no longer enslaved to the passions of the flesh. You are a debtor but not to the flesh. You're not indebted to the flesh. You're indebted to the Spirit. Remember, you are indwelt by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit. And therefore, you are called and equipped to live according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. That is what we used to be before we were converted The flesh called, and we answered. The flesh rang, and we picked up. We lived according to the flesh. We walked according to the flesh. We were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, as Paul says in Ephesians 2. We followed the course of this world. We followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among them, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We carried out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I'm still quoting Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. We have been saved. And if you're here this morning as someone who still needs salvation, the Bible says that salvation is by grace through faith, it's not by merit through works. We need salvation, each one of us, but we don't earn salvation. Salvation from sin and death and hell is a gift from God that we receive by faith, repenting of our sins, turning to Jesus Christ in simple faith, embracing him as our Savior and our Lord. And when we do that, when we turn from sin and trust in him, by grace we have been saved. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But we still have the flesh, We still have indwelling sin. That is why we must put to death the deeds of the flesh. Our second main point now, we must put to death the deeds of the flesh. Look at verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul says in the first half of the verse there, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That is where the path of the flesh leads. It leads to death. It leads to physical and spiritual and eternal death. Living for the flesh doesn't lead to life. It leads to death. Living for the flesh doesn't bring fulfillment It brings regret. Living for the flesh does not bring happiness. It brings misery. And that's because living for the flesh is living against God. And living against God is living against life and fulfillment and happiness. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, as believers, how are we supposed to hear this? How are we supposed to understand this? Because don't we already have life? Don't we already have new life in Christ, eternal life? Are we in danger of dying spiritually and eternally if we live according to the flesh? Well, even though we are in the Spirit, we still need to be warned Not to live according to the flesh because it's possible to think we are in the spirit but to actually still be in the flesh. It's possible to think you're saved when you're actually not. And if you live according to the flesh, if you live a life of sin without remorse, without repentance, you show that you are actually not in the spirit. But are still in the flesh. And therefore you will die if you don't repent and believe in Jesus Christ. If you live according to the flesh, you will die, the verse says. Because if you live according to the flesh, you show that you are not in the spirit. And if you are not in the spirit, you are in the flesh. You are on the path that leads to death. And you need to get off that path, forsake that path and turn in faith to Jesus Christ. As believers, we shouldn't step onto that path, not even for a moment, the path of the flesh, the path of sin. Don't get on that path. Don't go down that path. If you start down that path and continue down that path, you may find one day that you are not in the Spirit after all but in the flesh. And if you continue down that path without repentance and faith, you will die. It's not that we don't stray from the path of righteousness back onto the path of sin. Sadly, we do that all the time. We do it every day. But by God's grace, we repent. We turn back. We turn away from that path and back to Christ. And he leads us again in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We are like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. Think of his journey if you've read the book. His journey wasn't perfect, was it? He got off the path at points, like when he took Bypath Meadow and ended up at Dowding Castle. But what distinguished him from other travelers was that he got back on the path. And he stayed on the path. He persevered by God's preserving grace and made it to the celestial city. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Interesting parallelism there. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. What does the world say? The world says, if you live according to the flesh, you will live. But God says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Who's right? The world or God? I think often that's what it comes down to. Often it comes down to the question of are we going to trust the promises of the world or are we going to trust the promises of God? They both promise life, but the world says it's found in living according to the flesh, while God says it's found in living according to the Spirit. God says it's found in putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Spirit. So who are we going to believe? Who are we going to listen to? Don't believe the lies of the world. Don't believe the promises of the world. Believe the truth of God. Trust the promises of God. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Let's work our way backwards through the second half of verse 13 there. First of all, you'll notice at the end, Paul says that if you do what he's describing here, you will live. You will live, of course, doesn't mean you won't die physically. It means, rather, you won't die spiritually and eternally. Remember what Jesus said to Martha in John 11, 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die... Yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So, if we believe in Jesus, though we die physically, we will live spiritually and eternally, eternally with a resurrected body. But wait just a minute. Paul doesn't say here in Romans, if you believe in Jesus, you will live. He says, if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So is salvation by grace through faith, or is salvation by merit through putting to death the deeds of the body? Is it whoever believes in me will live, or is it whoever puts to death the deeds of the body will live? Well, it's both, really. But in different senses. Eternal life is by grace alone through faith alone. So it's whoever believes in me will live, John 3:16. But whoever believes in Christ will also put to death their sin. True saving faith produces Mortification of sin. And so it's also true to say that whoever puts to death the deeds of the body will live. Not because they've earned life by putting to death the deeds of the body, but because the fact that they're putting to death the deeds of the body shows that their faith is real. So eternal life is by faith alone, but true faith produces mortification of sin. And it's those who mortify their sin who show that their faith is real. As opposed to a false faith that never mortifies sin. That faith is not real. That faith will not end in eternal life. So mortification, putting to death sin, is not the cause of eternal life. Eternal life is a gift from God that we receive by faith but mortification is the necessary evidence that our faith is genuine, for it is only genuine faith that leads to eternal life. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will live. Is not just about the future, though. It's also about the present. It's not just about eternal life Someday in the future, it's about abundant life in the present, in the here and now. The more you mortify your sin, the more lively your spiritual life will be. The less you mortify your sin, the less lively your spiritual life will be. Think of gardening. The more often you weed your garden, the better it will look, right? It'll be more healthy, it'll be more fertile. The flowers will look more beautiful, but if you let those weeds go, if you don't tend to them consistently, the garden starts to get overrun, starts to get cluttered and ugly and unhealthy. So weed your garden, weed the garden of your heart every day. Don't keep walking by it thinking, boy, I need to water or weed that garden soon. Stop what you're doing and pull up those weeds by the roots. Stop what you're doing and pull up your sins by the roots. And the more you do that by the power of the Spirit, the more lively and healthy and godly you will be. So again, working backwards, that's about the end of the verse. You will live. You will enjoy eternal life in the future and abundant life in the present. Let's think about the next phrase backwards. Put to death the deeds of the body. The deeds of the body are roughly synonymous with the works of the flesh that Paul has talked about. The deeds, which would also include words and thoughts and desires. Deeds standing for the whole that are contrary to the pure law of God, are sinful deeds, words, thoughts, and desires. As Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The fact that we're called to put to death the deeds of the body, shows how serious this is and how dangerous sin is. Paul doesn't say, try to keep the deeds of the body to a minimum. He doesn't say, try to manage the deeds of the body and just keep them from getting out of control. He doesn't say, Try to keep an eye on the deeds of the body. No, he says, put to death the deeds of the body. He says to kill whatever in us is contrary to the law of God. He says to slay your sin. Don't try to manage your lusts. Mortify your lusts. John Owen The English Puritan once wrote a whole book on this verse called Of the Mortification of Sin in Believers. It's an extended explanation and application of verse 13. The abridged version was one of our Book of the Month books a while back. You can find it on the shelf at the resources board out in the narthex there. And he wrote the following. He said, to kill a man or any other living thing is to take away the principle of all his strength, vigor, And power, so that he cannot act or exert or put forth any proper actings of his own. So it is in this case. Indwelling sin is compared to a person, a living person, called the old man, with his faculties and properties, his wisdom, craft, subtlety, strength. This, says the Apostle, must be killed, put to death, mortified. That is, have its power, life, vigor, and strength to produce its effects taken away by the Spirit. Our sins die hard. They are strong and they are stubborn. And we cannot treat them lightly, we cannot treat them politely. Show mercy to sinners, but show no mercy. Your sins. We must put to death the deeds of the body. We must slay them. We must kill them. We must mortify them. We must put them to death. But the wonderful thing about all of this is that we're not alone in putting them to death. It's not all up to us by ourselves in our own strength. Paul says, By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. We need to do it. You put to death the deeds of the body. But we cannot do it on our own. By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. We don't kill sin with our bare hands. We kill sin with the weapon of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is more than sufficient to take down any sin. The way to put to death the sin that dwells within us is by the power of the Spirit who dwells within us. As one author put it, victory is by means of the Spirit, which means that believers conquer sinful passions by relying on and trusting in the Spirit to provide the strength to resist the passions that wage war within us. Or as John Owen put it concisely, all other ways of mortification are vain. All helps leave us helpless. It must be done by the Spirit. What does that look like practically? How can we put our sin to death by the power of the Spirit. Well, let me mention three ways briefly as we draw to a close this morning. These aren't the only three, but I would say that they are the main ways we put our sin to death by the power of the Spirit. Number one, pray. Pray for strength from the Spirit to fight temptation. Pray for the ability to say no to the temptation, even when you really want to say yes to the temptation. Pray for a stronger desire for holiness than for sin. Pray for a stronger desire to please God than to please yourself. Pray for an awareness of the presence of God. I know for myself, I would sin less if I was more aware of the presence of God with me at all times. I imagine it's the same for you pray for the power of the spirit in the moment of weakness your weakness for we are weak but he is strong pray that you would see and take the way of escape that is always there 1st Corinthians 10:13 no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man god is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Pray that you would glorify and enjoy God instead of glorifying and enjoying sin. How do we put our sin to death by the power of the Spirit? First, we pray. We pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, Ephesians 6 verse 18 says. Number two, remember the promises of God. We put our sin to death by the power of the Spirit by remembering the promises of God that are inspired by the Spirit and illumined by the Spirit and applied by the Spirit to our hearts. Don't listen to what sin promises you. Listen to what God promises you. God promises life. He promises joy. He promises peace. He promises safety. He promises you himself. In his presence there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He is the source of life And light. He is the source of happiness. He alone can give us satisfaction and fulfillment and contentment. His ways are ways of pleasantness. His paths are paths of righteousness. His law is what revives our soul and enlightens our eyes and rejoices our heart in light of the gospel sin promises but never delivers god promises and always delivers so put your sin to death by the power of the spirit by remembering and believing and acting on the promises of god number 3 third and finally obey Obey God by the power of the Spirit. Take that simple step of obedience by the power of the Spirit. Don't overthink it. Don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. Don't fight a million battles at once. Just take a simple step of obedience in the battle you're in right now. Do the right thing, do what pleases God. Walking in obedience begins with a first step of obedience. Obey from the heart by the power of the Spirit for the glory of God. How do we put our sin to death by the power of the Spirit? Three ways among others. We pray for help, we remember the promises of God, and we obey from the heart. So, slay your sin by the power of the Spirit. That's where life is found abundant life now and eternal life in the future. Don't let sin kill you. You kill sin. Don't give in to the power of Satan. Resist by the power of the Spirit. Put it on your to do list every day to mortify your sin. You are no longer a debtor to the flesh, so don't live according to the flesh. You are in the Spirit. You are indwelt by the Spirit of God. So slay your sin by the power of the Spirit. Let's pray together. Lord, how we thank you that we are not alone in our fight against sin. Not only do we have each other here in the body of Christ, we also have the indwelling Spirit of God, and we pray that you would give us enabling grace each day this week to slay our sin by the power of your Spirit, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.